Damn it, I don't care who he is. What? No, you tell your boss he can't come on the show. Honestly. You text incessantly, email, and call the pirate hotline all the time? I mean, it's ridiculous and harassing. You tell Johnny Depp he can't buy or bully his way onto the show. Who cares if he played Jack Sparrow? Savvy? Yeah, yeah. Captain Jack Sparrow. Sorry about that. That's it. No guesting on the show. Wait a second, actually. Uh, can you get us uh, Kevin McNally? Can you call up Gibbs? If he can get us Gibbs, then we'll consider Johnny Depp. And stop texting me. I mean, jeez. I tell you, this guy's a handful. It's like I'm constantly dealing with this agent. It's crazy. Oh, wait. Are we uh, rolling? Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Oh. Dead men tell no tales. Chest, yo ho ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho, and a bottle of rum. I the ship with black sails that's crewed by the dam. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. Three times a charm with that one. Literally, took me three times to get that opening out. You know why? Why? A, because Johnny Depp's agent was harassing me. And B, Cricket, the puppy from hell, is running around the studio again like a maniac. She wasn't this crazy downstairs. Yeah. We thought, oh, she's sleeping now. Let's go record. She comes up here. It's like an energetic room or something. Yeah. So hopefully now the peanut butter works. We can give them some peanut butter. They can lick. And you guys aren't hearing some slurping in the background going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Although maybe slurping would be appropriate considering we're in the hot Tia Dalma shack here. So thanks for joining us for minute 53 of Dead Man's Chest. Nothing to say or are you just ready to go? Ready to go. That's what Tia Dalma said. In the previous minute, Disney realizes those oh-so-wholesome times have faded into history, and the only way to make a buck these days is to appeal to the new generation. A generation that clearly gravitates towards... Will Turner? No, Shades of Grey. (laughs) And Will Turner. Well, hell, they double down and give us a voodoo seductress who decides the only appropriate way to entertain the kids is to actually steam it up for the parents. You want to know me? And what service may I do for you? Okay. When did we enter the bunny ranch here? Seriously. But like the real world, before you can show her your key, she needs to be paid. Minute 53 begins with Tia Dalma telling Jack, the compass you bartered from me, it cannot lead you to this. Jack has an inquisitive response. Maybe. Why? The minute ends with Tia Dalma sitting back, a man of the sea, a great sailor, until he ran afoul of that which vexes all men. Will ask, what vexes all men? I don't know about you, but I got my oysters, got my chocolate, some red wine. Some well, it's butter? flowing. Arr! Peanut butter? What the hell? That's that's what gets you turned on? No. That's what stirs the juices is peanut butter? I mean, seriously, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about here? 
<laughs> Oysters, chocolate, and peanut butter and red wine? Does peanut butter fit in this scenario? You need to think about what's going on there. Peanut butter keeps the dogs busy. I don't know what's going on there. But no, at least there's no endangered species horns or gallbladders. So yeah, shame on you out there for that. But Heather, peanut butter. Now I know the secret, I guess. Uh, no. Well, I might need to revisit the oyster thing. But anyways. Did you see the oyster with the worm in it? Yeah, why are, what? You really? Yeah, That's what you're going to bring up? Yeah. That's enough to anti-aphrodisiac there. I don't oysters eat, with worms. I don't eat oysters, but I definitely wouldn't even try them now. I thought you were going to say I don't eat worms, but I wasn't going to eat worms anymore or whatever you were going to say. doesn't matter. We're talking, you know, we're talking Teodalma stuff here. And I think I'm just about ready for more Love Shack action with Teodalma here. <laughs> Because if you see a faded sign by the side of the road, I mean, don't go in there. It's a voodoo shack. Trust me. Unless you want to be hot and bothered. I was obviously unprepared last time, so I made no mistakes this time. That's why I brought the oysters and the chocolate. You obviously brought a handful of peanut butter. And even, I must say this, I even brought plenty of money. I mean, a monkey for when she wants payment. (laughs) And speaking of once, I'm going to declare that this minute is the minute of once. Don't you think? The minute of once. I don't think you get it yet, but it's clearly the theme. I mean, not just of this minute, but the entire voodoo scene. Not sure about real life, but from my movie going experience, usually people seem to go to the voodoo priestess because they want something. Love, money, to know the future, revenge, or whatever else you can think of. Right? Yes. Right. The minute of once. But we're just talking about minute 53, and I still think it works for the theme. Because I'll start with Jack. Because we've been teasing or talking about his confusion for a while now. Yeah. Well, this kind of, ever since he jumped on board the Black Pearl after escaping the Turkish prison and, hey, I actually said Turkish prison without screwing it up. Congratulations. Yeah, it's usually my tongue twister, my arch nemesis. Turkish prison. Ah, flows right off the tongue. Must be the peanut butter. (laughs) And the compass issue. Anyways, the Turkish. Ah! Damn it. (laughs) Damn it to hell. It screwed me. I touted it. I I laughed in its face, and it reared its ugly Turkish prison head. Tongue twistered me up. Damn it to hell. Anyways, the whole prison thing, the compass not working, it all started there. But he wants this. I mean, as Tia reveals, just doesn't realize what he wants or owns it yet. He doesn't embrace or accept his true heart's desire there. And his heart is torn. It's a chest or love at this point. And I don't know if we should really drop the ball here, but yeah. It's Elizabeth. I think we maybe have How mentioned do you it know? before. I'm just making that guess because of all the things that are coming together. Are you the assuming? Clues. No, I'm not assuming. I'm making a hypothesis as a scientist, a former scientist, or once a scientist, always a scientist. But at least she's gently weighing on his mind. Okay, maybe she, he doesn't love her, but she's weighing on his mind. Don't you think? He loathed to claim her as his own. See? That's what I'm talking about. Although I don't necessarily think it's that serious, like I was saying. He still has what I might call a longing for her. And that plays into this want theme that I'm talking about. Dead Man's Chest is really a tragic tale of love lost. Love that slips away. Striving for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) Or looking for love in all the wrong places. Never heard that before. Damn it, you didn't even get that. (laughs) We all want what we can't have. Exactly. That's what it is. It's not necessarily that he really... Maybe loves her. He just wants what he can't have. Right. She is the woman who kind of 
dissed him, if you will, in the first movie. He kept playing that card of, you know, you really want me thinking, okay, she's going to say something. And she basically denied it. She didn't fall into that. Yeah. And I get the feeling that most kind of women kind of fall for that Jack Sparrow thing, that he doesn't really have much... Well, okay. He's mysterious. Yeah, and he's probably paying a lot of the times. Or pretending to pay and steals it back. But like I was saying, it's a tragic tale of love lost. Love that slips away, striving for love in all the wrong places. Because I had to bring it up again because you wouldn't say it. (laughs) And as we progress through the movie, and we eventually meet our villain at some point, that becomes more apparent. And that's going to show up. That whole idea. But Jack, he also wants a ring. He actually pockets Tia Dalma's (laughs) ring in this minute. Slips it right into his pocket. Yeah. As she's talking to the other guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. This guy has no shame. Seriously, stealing from a voodoo priestess? He was checking out a hat, too. Well, he's probably going to take the hat. But you got to have some giant cojones on you. I mean, that's how you get a voodoo doll made of yourself. (laughs) You start stealing from a voodoo princess, you're just asking for it. Princess or priestess, I should say. They're thick as thieves, though. Maybe that's actually a good... Quote for them or a good phrase because he's literally stealing from a friend. <laughs> That's just weird. I mean, come on. I mean, it did pay her quite a bit for this transaction of finding out what the key is. That's true. Gave away his monkey. His undead monkey, to be exact. Yeah, an undead monkey is quite the prize. Exactly. Tell me if this fits Will Turner. Or we occasionally. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, we occasionally reference Seinfeld or other movies here. Maybe you've... uh, TV shows? Heard that before, yeah. A few references here and there. Maybe some songs that go right over Heather's head. But the one line from Seinfeld I can't really get out of my head right now is when Elaine is interviewing for that publishing job. She's supposed to read the manuscript. I think that's the one with the Mackinac peaches and the pesticide, the flea spraying in Jerry's apartment. Anyways, Kramer goes inside. He ends up reading the manuscript that Elaine left in there. And... Tell me if this fits Will Turner. A story about love, deception, greed, lust, and unbridled enthusiasm. You see, Elaine, Billy was a simple country boy. You might say a cockeyed optimist who got himself mixed up in the high-stakes game of world diplomacy and international intrigue. And I don't know why this reminded me of it so much. It's just weird because this whole, maybe because everybody in this is like this wanting thing going on here. But... That kind of just summed it up. I mean, that's Will. He's just wanting maybe to settle down with Elizabeth. And then first he has to tackle like an Aztec curse scenario. And now he's doing the bidding of East India Company politics. A simple blacksmith who knows how to use his sword. Bang on some ingots, you know. <laughs> he's adept at his yes. position. Multiple positions, probably. I don't know. You know really? The, yeah, the blacksmith, a pirate. He's sales. What are you, what are you talking about? Seriously. And that's what Will wants. He wants Elizabeth. He wants that married life. Well, any life with her. Pirate, blacksmith, whatever. See? Multiple positions. That's all I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Here in this minute, it means he wants the chest, though. The key to dead man's chest. Because it all falls back to then saving Elizabeth and being with Elizabeth. Right. So that's it. I mean, we talked about Tia Dalma, too, since we're still on the once game. Obviously, she wants Will. I mean, that's enough said. (laughs) I don't even know if I want to get into it. I don't have enough oysters to get into that conversation again. (laughs) Pintel wants jewels. Not really anything deep there. Gold, jewels. That basically goes for Gibbs, too. He kind of prompts that question. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily say that, but he's the one who's the first to, oh, what's in the chest? Yeah. I mean, come on. We all know what you're thinking. Because I'd be thinking the same thing. Gold. Rigetti wants eyeballs. That's true. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you what Rigetti wants. And yeah, it's an eye. He's seeing it right there. He's longing for the eyeballs there. 
Is he longing for him or is he kind of grossed out at this jar full of eyeballs? Okay, he's grossed out maybe because he does give it like this weird flinch. But he's still looking at it like, you know, I wonder if she could actually give me an eye back. Mm. Do do I have to pay her an undead monkey and I get an eye? (laughs) Maybe, right? Yeah. But he's also a bit nervous with the superstitions creeping up on him and all. Yeah. He's making sure about that. But before you jump to Rigetti, I actually had some more Gibbs once. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you just jump around. You don't wait for the actual moment. You're like uh, Jack, just ready to jump right into things. Because poor Gibbs, I mean, he just... Okay, he wants the gold and the treasure that Jack promised him. Let's just say that. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, he hitched his wagon to Jack. Jack's not delivering. And now he's like, oh, is there going to be gold here finally? Are we finally going to get a treasure? And, okay, first of all, watch for the character theme across the movies, the franchise. The Gibbs is always getting shafted on the gold thing. His character doesn't get the treasure. Yeah. Because he hooked his wagon to Jack. Exactly. That's his character thing. Jack can't escape without help. Gibbs doesn't get the treasure that he has been promised after all this time, but he's still loyal. So that's kind of his character thing. And then we can feel a bit bad for Gibbs. But that's the whole, I think, thing with Gibbs. So they all have like these unique characters that they can't really ever accomplish. Yeah. And it's funny because Rigetti is concerned about the chest. He wants, you know, to make sure that nothing bad's going to happen. Because he's seen the writing on the wall with like the Aztec curse in that chest. Yeah. That's bad news. Right. He knows that chests are not good. Well, chest as in some chest. Yeah, treasure chest. Okay. Nobody's claiming chests aren't good. <laughs> I'm not claiming that. Anyways, Rigetti, treasure chest. But what's funny is, is Gibbs doesn't have that same reaction, though. He Gibbs was- should know that chests are not working out for him. I mean, he still like has that hope and that longing for it. He's like, maybe this is the time. But they were sitting on a mount of gold, practically, and they didn't take any of that. They couldn't. But he wasn't cursed for... 10 years either. No, that's true. He didn't have the experience. He just had to fight that stuff, but he didn't actually have to live it. So it's not like it's on his soul. Rigetti had to live it for 10 years. Yeah. That's why Rigetti's so... Well, he's always been a little probably squeamish and superstitious too. A little more frightened. Gibbs isn't really frightened as much as... I don't know. I look at Gibbs as more superstitious and wants to avoid that stuff, but he's not really afraid to go into battle with it and stuff. Whereas Rigetti's a bit more timid when it comes to these superstitions. He's like that guy in the haunted mansion out in the graveyard there in front of it, shaking and holding the lantern, Mm, the dog. That's Rigetti. Even though Rigetti does step up and do things, he's still kind of that guy. It's like the whole proverbial thing. It's like when people are talking about speeches or doing something that they're more afraid of thinking about doing it than when they actually do it. I think Rigetti's kind of like that. He's more afraid of the thought of it yeah. than actually when something happens because he'll step up and participate. Right. Usually. But that's that's the thing. And it's probably good that Rigetti didn't see the inverted cross hanging from the ceiling or maybe it was a beam in her shack there. It looked like an upside down cross to me. It was. I think it was. I think it has that obvious connection to anti-religion about it. Maybe the voodoo thing. The bad omen feeling about it. You know, you get like your, well, your spooky radar goes up when you see that. Yeah. That's all. Is that an upside down cross? Because that's kind of odd to put in this movie. It was like it had, um, it was covered with ropes. 
like had ropes or something. Yeah. Different colors on it. Oh, I didn't see the colors. Oh, it was, they were pretty close in color, but there were a couple different colors on it. Like there were, it was wrapped with rope. I, I don't know. It, okay. When I saw it, I go, okay, that's an inverted cross. And uh, then I wait, go. inverted puffy cross. Inverted puffy cross. And then I looked at it and go, that's so puffy. It reminds me of voodoo doll. And um, then I'm wondering, was it a voodoo doll? Because it had like hair oh, off of maybe. it. Oh, maybe. Because Jack r- brushes against it and kind of throws it aside. Maybe. It's like the straw hair. So is I it a he weird. I did that with the jar hanging. Was it the jar hanging? I, I don't know. I thought it might be the cross, but I'll have to relook. Because he kind of pushed away the jar that was Yeah, hanging. the jar, but there was like a strawish uh, frizzy hanging down. I don't know. But anyways, I mean, it really got my spooky radar up. And actually, the inverted cross pops up all over the place. And it's not surprising. I mean, it really kind of has that anti-religion connotation. Yeah. It's been in Amityville Horror, Rosemary's Baby, Exorcist, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Ghosts, The Devil Inside, Paranormal Activity, Constantine, The Devil, The Omen, The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, Annabelle, and just tons more. If you got a horror movie about religious stuff. There's going to be an upside down yeah, cross. You know, uh, poltergeist or possessions, any of that stuff. Yeah, you end up with inverted crosses. But it turns out that it's really a distortion that popped up and it didn't start out that way. It's called the Cross of St. Peter. The inverted Latin cross traditionally used as a Christian symbol. Oh, really? Yeah. The Catholic tradition says that Simon Peter was crucified upside down as told by Origen of Alexandria. And the tradition first appeared in the Martyrdom of Peter, a fragmented text found in but possibly predating the apocryphal Acts of Peter. Huh. Which was written no later than 200 A.D., it is believed that Peter requested this form of crucifixion as he felt he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus died. Wow. Yeah. That's why the martyrdom came up. But yeah, started off as kind of a religious thing. And then, you know, people started getting a hold of it and said, hey, let's make that anti-religion. But it is, though. If you see it, especially the way they do it in some movies, the cross is like hanging up and all of a sudden it flips down. Yeah. Didn't they do that in Exorcist? Uh, I named a whole bunch of movies. Yeah, but I mean, they actually flipped it. I think she flipped it I in Exorcist. So. And I think it was like in Amityville. And I don't know. But I believe that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, so, she actually, you actually watch her flip it. But I think a lot of them do that, though. They show it, even like Paranormal Activity. Wasn't it hanging there and then it flips down? See, not. I don't remember. Yeah, of course you don't. Church is in session. Let's just say that. Maybe Sunday school. Yeah. People come here for church. On a Friday, on a pirate show. That's weird. Talk about blasphemy. Now break out the rum. That'll make everybody feel better. <laughs> I don't really even have a transition. How do you transition from the cross of Peter and rum and blasphemy to, oh, it'll be okay. Let's talk about uh, Naomi Harris. I mean, see, there's no transition there. I got to think of something. You can all sit there and think. Maybe the elevator music will come up. But I'm just going to say it, actually. Tia Dalma is giving Gibbs a run for his money on the storytelling. Her rendition of Davy Jones, I mean, she knocks it out of the park. I was completely hooked with that story. Yeah. I was maybe vexed. <laughs> but I was intently listening to her tell that story. I was like, what the hell? You know, and I had trouble understanding it at first. Yeah. And then I started after I knew kind of like, okay, this is what she's saying. And I just was like, my God. It's basically Naomi Harris. I mean, Tia Dalma. She slays this scene and upstages everyone in it. Her, this when she's talking about um, Davy Jones, it reminds me of the same way Gibbs would do it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, 
Mind you, Johnny doesn't have a lot of lines here or Gibbs or any of these other guys, but she sells it. And I absolutely believe she's a voodoo priestess in this thing. No doubt. Yeah. I'm sold on her. Yeah. Who's the better storyteller, though? Gibbs or Tia Dalma? She did a good job. She did a really good job. She really pulled you in. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's, but Gibbs, I could listen to Gibbs all day long. So though. can I. And I think maybe it depends on the story. Yeah. But like Gibbs, he has like a distinct voice when he talks. She does too. She has a crazy like Jamaican kind of it's thing It's a Jamaican. It's actually a Jamaican accent with Southern American. Would you something? look it up or something? Did you research this? Yeah. Or are you just like a linguist and you can pull this no, out? No, because she actually brought it to when she auditioned. Because she has family that's Jamaican. Oh. And so she just pulled the accent from her family. No kidding. She she had to have sold it right there. If people saw her, they're like, oh my God, this is it. Yeah. Casting agent had to sit down and go, whoo. Well, she, when she auditioned, she only had like a couple lines, right? That are a couple pages or something that she could that she could use. And there was really not a whole lot of direction. And so she brought what she thought would be good to the table Yeah, when she auditioned. And they said it was perfect. And that's what they actually used is what she brought in. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah, well, because you can... Not, okay, so the voice is there. You can feel it in her face, her eyes, her voice, the mannerisms. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. And that's no wonder that she got that part. Yeah. And the good news is that we're getting closer to Davy Jones. And I'm going to take it. Because it sounds like a good story. And she leaves us with this weekend teaser, for God's sakes. What vexes men? Vexes all men. Yeah. Oh, I think she has her pulse on the one thing that vexes <laughs> all men. And I'm going to bet that Will knows it too because the way she talks to Will. He asked her what, what vexes all yeah. men. How do you not know? Okay. I'm not sure Will even realizes he said that as he stares deeply into her eyes. He's vexed. He doesn't know what else to say. He's just like, I want to continue to hear her talk. What vexes all men? Yeah. She's repeating it, the questions. She has him vexed. He's cursed. He's hooked on Tia Dalma. Is that one of those times where you repeat it, but it really clicks as to, you know the answer. Yeah. And the answer is Tia Dalma for Will. <laughs> She's got him. No doubt. Hook, line, and sinker. Even with those teeth. Even with those teeth. Yeah. Somehow the, yeah. She got him. <laughs> He doesn't care about rotting teeth. He's now got voodoo <laughs> goggles on, and he can't... Is that like beer goggles? Yeah, it's like beer goggles. He can't see that now. Oh, She's okay. portraying in his mind whatever he wants. She oh. probably looks like Elizabeth. Oh, she has the power... Yeah, you bet. ...to put visions in his yeah. mind. He's seeing Elizabeth there. Everybody sees something different with her. Mm. Some kind of like genie thing going on. It wasn't that... Oh, oh that's the connection to Star Trek. The hell was the, the the man trap? I think it was the man trap. It was that alien that could disguise itself as part of somebody's memory and pull out like you know whatever they remember. Hmm. So it would be like a woman because there were all the male crew members down there. So it was a different woman from their past that they typically loved, and she would appear different to everybody, different ages and everything. So some people saw like the real age of this that this person was supposed to be. Yeah, that she was disguising herself as, or he, the alien was. And then others that were, say, Dr. McCoy, because now we're deep diving into Star Trek original series, 1966 or 69, where Dr. McCoy, like I said, DeForest Kelly, I don't know how many facts you want me to give right now, but sees her as the young woman he remembered exactly 
the young woman he remembered when he was in love with her many years ago. Hmm. Whereas Kirk, for instance, sees her as that lady who's aged the 20 or 30 years, the 20 years since they last saw Hmm. her. And McCoy is like, wow, you look exactly like I remember you. You're just, you know, look so young and youthful. And Kirk is like, well, come on. Let's not be too hasty here. (laughs) I wouldn't say exactly Dr. McCoy beer goggles on there, buddy. So anyways, yeah, that's what I think. That's my hypothesis with Tia Dolma right now. Look at that. Star Trek. You know, it's like every once in a while we just have a reference. But this one, Every once in a while? I think it was the man trap. Hmm. And it would actually then go and like suck the salt out of their bodies with these weird suction cup fingers. That was a brutal way to die. Wow. Yeah. Gets rid of all your sodium chloride. So there you go. Did they use it for something? It ate the salt. It like oh, lived on okay. salt. And it was the last of its kind. Oh, that's not good. Exactly. Now we're derailed onto Star Trek. We're talking Tia Dalma being vexed. And before I actually need to get hydrated and cooled down, if we talk about Tia Dalma some more, I'm saying we should probably roll over to really bad eggs. Okay. Order up. Really bad eggs. Really bad eggs is the bi-weekly segment where we highlight our favorite lines from the last six minutes. The last six minutes we've covered. Something like that. By the way, you can always share your favorite lines from the movies. Let's keep it to the movies we've actually covered so far or are covering. Doesn't have to be in the same minute, but within the movie. Curse of the Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest. It's all fair game now. We might even read it on the show. You can give us a shout out at the Pirate Hotline, 8637Pirate, or email it to us, podcast at blackpearlminute.com, or social media and all that stuff. Anyways, okay, let me do this gratuitous. Thanks for all the new listeners. It's great to have the new people joining in for a listen. They can tell us their favorite line. Okay, back to really bad eggs. What's your line? No worries, mate. I'll handle this. Tia Dalma and I go way back. Thick as thieves, nigh inseparable. We were, have been, before. Why are you looking at me that way? What? What? What was that last part? We were, have been, before. Oh. Nigh inseparable. We were, have been, before. I forgot that he repeated that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot. I just thought (laughs) you jumbled some words together and you were maybe having a stroke over there. (laughs) I just like this line because it just shows you, well, I guess it's a couple of lines, but... It just shows you the relationships that John or that um, Jack has with women. You know, it's it's come and go. Exactly. You know, he pops in and out of their lives here and there, and he's not sure what welcoming party he'll have when he arrives. But he's always hopeful that it's they left on good terms. In his mind, he always leaves on good terms. Yeah. In their mind, they've always been jilted or stilted yeah. or whatever happened. Yeah. That's Jack's theme right there with women. Yeah. It's a good one. I can see that. Because it really sums up Jack's character. Uh-huh. And it's about kind of all the women that he about leaves. About his relationship with does women. Does that. Yeah. Yep. Mine is from this minute. Tia says, Jack Sparrow does not know what he wants. And oddly enough, this isn't about Jack for me. Okay, yeah, it is. Which I already covered earlier. I was talking about yeah. that. But for me... At this stage, really bad eggs. It's about Will. When she says Jack's confused about what he wants, did you notice Will gets the look like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. What does he really want? He gets that confused, like, head shake, tilt, nod thing. Yeah. It's almost like he thought, 
Could it be Elizabeth? Or at least it gave him some doubt about Jack's true intentions. Is he screwing me over again like the damn Aztec curse thing? That's what I was wondering. Because he actually does it twice in this minute. Maybe he only thinks that Jack is only after one thing and he only wants one thing in life. Well, okay, that's a good point. Maybe he was confused like, wait a second. Jack's actually confused with what he wants because we've never seen that before. His relationship with Jack has shown that, yeah, he knows what he wants. He goes, gets it, he moves on to the next thing. Now he's confused. That's weird. Yeah. Plus, it's not fitting. It's just not fitting for Jack's yeah, character. Exactly. In in Will's mind, it's confusing him. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I needed to mention it is that I have this as my quote because it plays into building that doubt. Will doubts Elizabeth's love. Actually, it started with Governor Swan back in the jail. Yeah. And now, kind of, it's happening again. It plays right into the plot later on. Jack is torn. Will has doubts, setting up a potential love triangle situation. Mm-mm. So keep a weather eye out for that. It's a great writing on directing to give those like subtle clues throughout the film. Yeah. That really they they seem so innocent in scenes or kind of small or attributed to other elements. But then they start to pile up and it actually like reaches this climax and has ramifications for both characters later on. Yeah. And that's what we need to keep a weather eye out for. Because maybe we see who the wily one in this movie really is or this franchise. Or should I say feisty or real pirate? <laughs> Who's the real pirate here? That's what I have to say. So that's it. Some serious plot stuff. Serious yep. discussion. When so bad we could have ended with Tia Dama hot talk. You know, call 1-900-HOT-VOODOO. <laughs> Only $5 per minute. <laughs> or, you know, we have the inverted cross action. We were so close to an apocalypse. No hot voodoo apocalypse? I mean, come on. I guess there's always next time. There's always next time. We're still in the shack. The love shack. Love shack. The hot love shack. Love shack. Man, this is a dirty shack. It's not dirty. Oh, it's dirty. Literally dirty. But it's a a hot love shack. I don't know. It's like a seductress shack. Did you notice how comfortable she feels in her shack? Hell yeah, she is. She's like sitting back in her chair. Like it's a, a, uh, almost like a throne. No. I, okay, yeah. But I think it goes further than that. She's comfortable in her own skin and who she is. She knows exactly who she is. Yeah. She knows how much power she has. And she just loves every minute of oh, it. Oh, yeah. She loves every minute of who she is. She loves teasing all the guys that come in. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, it's about want people that just show up wanting things from her, making payments. Mm. That's what she lives for right now. Yep. She's that kind of person. She's fulfilling wishes and dreams and they're paying her back in a way. Yeah. And... She just loves that life. So there we go. That's how we're going to end it. So we'll be back on Monday with Minute 54 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, Scallywags, it's the weekend, so you know what to do. Keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. And the drinks are flowing. Well, the drinks, the rum drinking to a maximum. Yes. Or not too max. You didn't like my drinks are flowing. I changed it. Yeah. I couldn't let you have the last word. It's ridiculous. I'm the captain of this vessel. (laughs) Captain Morgan. Or something like that. Captain Underpants. Arr! How dare you? Seriously, demon? <laughs> if you see a faded sign at the side of the road that says 15 miles to the love shack. Love shack, yeah. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show. 
and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means, give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.